good evening. It's good to see you guys tonight. We could be sitting in the barn without air conditioning, and uh, it is great to see you. Brandon went to the doctor. Marcy doesn't even know this a few weeks ago, and he thought he was dying. He he told Dr. Sanders, he says, I, I take my finger and everything I touch, it hurts. He said, I touch my chest, it hurts. I touch my nose, it hurts. I touch my knee, it hurts. I, I even touch my ear, and it hurts. And Dr. Sanders, being very astute, looked at him. He said, let me x-ray your hand. And he came back. He said, Brandon, I don't think you're dying. Let me tell you why everything you touch hurts. You have a broken finger. Oh, y'all are going to be a tough crowd tonight. <laughs> pain, pain, pain. How many of you know what pain is like? Everybody in here has got enough hair or, or gray hair or lack of hair to know what pain is like. Why did everybody look at Otis back there when I said lack of hair? We're in Acts chapter 8 this evening, and we're going we're gonna to look at that old adage uh, no pain, no gain, and we're going to see if it's true from Acts chapter 8. Let's begin with this. Pain is a part of life. Pain is a part of life. In all forms and fashions, it, it is a part of our experience. Uh, and and that, that's what I would begin with, my first point under this. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts under this. Is pain's a part of life here on earth. It's a part of the sinful world we live in. It's a part of the sinful experience that we have to go through In chapter 8, verse 1, and I'm going to tell you a little more about the context in a moment. It says, Saul, this is going to be eventually Paul, this before he was a Christian, thank goodness, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution, which is pain, began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Boy, they were, they were fixing to experience and were experiencing big-time pain. And, and pain, again, I'm going to talk to you more about the context in just a second. Pain's a part of life. Uh, once you, you, you mature, maybe it's by the time you're 15, maybe by the time it's 20 or 30, you realize pain is a part of your experience. It, ju- it just is uh, if, if you're blessed to live very long. Several years ago, in Taiwan, a, a sperm whale, we have a picture of a sperm whale. Uh, they, are, they are gigantic, and this sperm whale in Taiwan, it beached up on the beach, and, and it died, and it, it weighed, let me, let me make sure with my stats so I won't, uh, it was 66 tons, 56 feet long, 66 tons. Some of you think you have a weight problem. Uh, that whale weighed 132,000 pounds. That's obese, isn't it? Uh, and it died, and then the people didn't they really know what to do with it, and so they let it lay there for two weeks, and then they decided they would get it and take it to a lab and study it. And so they get this 66-ton, 56-foot sperm whale, and they're carrying it to the lab, and they have to carry it through town, and it explodes in the middle of town. And I've seen pictures of it, and it was a horrific mess, you can imagine. That's, that's life, isn't it? Sometimes you're just walking down the street, and a gigantic catfish in Louisiana explodes, and you're, you find yourself in a mess, and you weren't even asking to be a part of the mess. 
That happens in life, doesn't it? Pain is a part of life. Sometimes life's just messy, and you didn't have anything in the world to do with it. It just happens. Let me give you a second thing. Pain can come when, and I put in parentheses here, or because we're doing what's right. Now, this is where life gets confusing. And this is where a health and wealth preacher on TV can be confusing sometimes. Sometimes pain comes to us when we are really living for God. Sometimes pain comes because we are really living for God. Any of y'all remember a sermon preached here Sunday morning? We talked about that persecution. In chapter 7, verse 59 and 60, set the stage. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is the first Christian martyr after Jesus. They're killing Stephen. He was a deacon. This wasn't a group of pastors got together to kill a mean deacon. This was a a godly man that the Jewish people were killing because he was professing Jesus. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. I'm afraid I'd be saying, God, please hit them with lightning quickly. But he was saying, forgive them. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, in verse 1, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Look in verse 2. Some devout men came, and they buried Stephen with great mourning. Verse 3, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. How many of you believe this was a bad, painful time? Stephen was brutally murdered for the simple reason that he was a Christian because he professed Jesus Christ. Now Saul, who's going to be a good guy later, but it's an awful bad guy right now, it, when it says that, that, that Saul was going everywhere to destroy. Literally, it's the picture here of a wild boar running through the woods with those tusks and just destroying any and everything uh, in its path. He he was bent on destruction. He He was almost a crazy person at this point. Throwing people in jail, having them arrested. Uh, a lot of scholars believe their houses and their properties were being confiscated. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. And the only crime that these people were guilty of was being followers of Jesus Christ. It's a horrible belief or teaching to tell someone or to buy into if you live for Christ, everything's going to be peachy. That's just not true. Folks, pain comes in our life. Sometimes it's just a part of life. The fish explodes when you're in its path. Sometimes pain comes because you are doing the right thing and it still comes on you. Doing right is always right, but it is not an immunity uh, guarantee from pain. Sometimes pain's going to happen because you are doing what's right. The devil's going to attack you and so are other people. Here's the third thing. Sometimes it happens when we are doing wrong. I think this is important too that we get this. This wasn't part of the story here. It's a part of your story and my story. Sometimes pain comes. I want to give you two kind of sub-thoughts on this. Sometimes it's God's discipline. Now listen to me this evening. Hebrews 12, 6. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. 
and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I remember this was in the 90s. There was a politician, a well-known politician that professed to be a Christian but was living, whew, living really poorly. And I made a comment to a minister friend at a meeting. I said, man, I just don't know why, you know, if I was doing that, God would smite me. <laughs> he would spank me hard. And the, the preacher friend looked at me. He goes, but God punishes and disciplines his children. Maybe this guy doesn't really belong to him. I want you to be introspective. I want you to think right now what you're going through. Maybe life's great right now. Please believe me, if you live much longer, you will experience some pain. Are you experiencing the discipline of God in your life right now? Is God putting some pain, some boundaries? Is he spanking you a little bit to get your attention? Sometimes the pain in our lives is God's way of trying to get us to straighten up. Sometimes we're just reaping what we sow. Sometimes this is true for the Christian or the non-Christian. Sometimes we experience pain and we're like, oh, where'd this come from? Why is this happening to me? And if we just sit down or someone would be honest with us, we would be able to say, you know what? Two plus two always equals four. Dumb, sinful behavior always reaps a bad harvest. Sometimes the pain in our life is we're reaping what we've sown. Galatians 6, 7 is a biblical principle. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant, correct? You plant tomatoes, don't cry that cucumbers don't come up, okay? This true story, several years ago in Pennsylvania, Bristol, Pennsylvania, a guy named Terrence Dickerson broke into a house. He knew the family was on vacation. He was been watching them. He was burglarizing their house. He was leaving the house, and he went into the garage. When he went into the garage, the, the door shut and locked, and he could not get the garage door to open. The burglar had to spend eight days in the garage drinking hot Pepsi and eating dog food. You know what, and, the, and this is the truth, he sued and won a half a million dollars. But I would say this, I, I, no, I'm not saying I'm rejoicing in his punishment, but if I'm breaking in your house and I have to eat dog food and drink hot Pepsi for eight days, I am reaping what I have sown, amen? I'm experiencing the pain that I have brought on myself. I, I just want to remind you, and again, most of you, certainly know this. Pain's part of our experience. Most of you know what pain's like. There was a seven-year-old boy, had a two-year-old daughter. It's kind of similar to my two grandkids, Alicia's kids, age-wise in the way they fight. And one time the mother heard the seven-year-old little boy screaming in the bathroom, and he walked in, and the little two-year-old had the boy by the hair just holding on for dear life, pulling, pulling, pulling. And I don't know why the little boy didn't break free, but his mom came in, got the two-year-old's hands free from the boy's hair, and he calmed him down. And she said, son, he, she just doesn't understand pain. She's too young to understand pain. So she leaves the bathroom, and about 10 seconds later, she hears the two-year-old screaming bloody murder. And she goes back in there, and the, the seven-year-old boy has the two-year-old by the hair. and said, what are you doing? And the boy says, I'm trying to help her understand pain. You don't need your hair pulled. You understand pain, don't you? you? You didn't need me to tell you that. 
But, but what do we do with it? I mean, what, what, what happens with our pain is so important. What we do with it, and sometimes the advice we get is, is, um, is, is worth exactly what it costs us, nothing. Sometimes it's helpful. There was a lady in Iowa that was in a, a restaurant booth, and it was a strange booth where they, it was kind of like you were in a picnic area, and you got up, you had to watch your head. Well, she didn't watch her head. She got up, banged her head uh, on the, 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 this top here, and, you know, she was walking out holding her head, and an elderly gentleman had seen it, and he was trying to console her, and he said to her, you'll feel better once the pain's gone. Well, amen. Thank you, Albert Einstein, for that advice. You'll feel better when the pain's gone. But let me give you a better thought, more helpful thought tonight. Great gain can come from our pain. Now, again, some of you right now, everything's great. So you're going, well, this is good. This will be over in 10 minutes, and then I can go do my thing. That's cool. You may be upside down in pain this time tomorrow. So file this away. Some of you are in the middle of pain. Listen, listen to the truths that we can learn from this passage. These people were suffering. Stephen had died a horrible death. The Christians were being martyred. But there were some things that were going to happen as a result of the evil that these people intended. What, what's, some, what's some gain that can come from your pain? Here's the first thing. Pain can help us become humble and dependent on God. Verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. I want to tell you, I guarantee you, you're talking about some humble, God-fearing, God-dependent Christians they were at this point. See, when, when the pain gets enough... God's going to get your attention or you're going to go the opposite way 100 degrees. Let the pain drive you to God. Now, I I don't mean this in an ugly way at all, but I doubt there's any of us here tonight who couldn't use a little humbling and be a little more dependent on God. Now, I agree with what Billy Graham said. Don't go home and ask God to humble you because he will. Bible says humble yourself. But pain is one of the great things that can help us bend down and lower ourselves before God and other people. Several months ago, I had the stomach virus. And, and I want to tell you, if, if ISIS ever captures me, they, they don't have to string me up or pull my toenails out. All they have to do is inject me with a stomach virus. And within six hours, I will give them all your names and addresses. This, and and I, so I'm laying on the floor in the bathroom. The dogs are trying to get in the bathroom, you know, and Cindy's trying to stay away from the bathroom. And I think I'm dying. You know, the stomach virus, you feel like you're dying. But I want to tell you, there, that night in March, it was a Tuesday night, my prayers have never been any more sincere this year than they were that night. Because pain brings you to a point where you know you need God, you need his help. Let your pain cause you to be more humble and dependent on God. Listen, any time you find yourself becoming more this way, the better off you're going to be. 
That's great gain from your pain. Here's the second thing. Your pain can lead us to properly prioritizing our lives. Would I be wrong to say tonight that maybe some of us have wrong priorities? Now, you're a good group. You're at church on Wednesday nights. By the looks of most of you, I don't think your parents made you come. But I think a little bit honestly in the book of Acts right here that these people had lost a little sense of priority. I won't read verse 1 again, but it says that they got persecuted and they got scattered. In verse 4 and 5, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. I'm going to tell you a little more about that in just a second. But it almost seems if you were to read Acts 1 through 7 that they had lost a little bit of their focus, a little bit of their priority. But as soon as the persecution began, you know what they did? They started telling people about Jesus. They became missionary people all of a sudden. They started spreading the message to their enemies and to everybody and everywhere they went. Clarence Thomas is a Supreme Court justice. He's a Christian man. Back about 15 or 16 years ago, he had a brother die, and it, was, it really tore his heart up. This is obviously a brilliant man, and here's what he said. He said, when that happened, all my priorities got turned upside down and then right side up. He said it wasn't as important anymore to be a Supreme Court justice or be the smartest person in the room. I realize when you boil life down, it's about faith it's about family, and it's about people. And it took that tragedy, that pain, for God to bring that gain back in my life. How are your priorities tonight? If there's pain in your life, let it become gain by reprioritizing your life. Maybe your priorities are upside down, and right now things are okay. Don't let the pain have to come to make that happen in your life, you choose to reprioritize your life. But when we do that, pain is beneficial because it leads to a gain. Let me give you a third thing that happens. It, it leads us to be doing what we should be doing. It's gainful. In chapter 1, verse 4, now stay with me and pay attention to these this is Jesus. Once when he was eating, well, let's see, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift. That's the Holy Spirit, as I've told you. In verse 8, he says, but you will receive, this is the gift, the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay, here was the plan. They had not all received the Holy Spirit like we receive the Holy Spirit now when we're saved. He said, wait in, to, in Jerusalem until you do it. It was going to be 40 days later. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. You know that day? What happened? The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit fell on them. He said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, then I want you to start being missionary people. I want you to get, spread the word in Jerusalem. I want you to spread it in Judea. That's your backyard. I want you to spread it in Samaria. That's your blood enemies. And I want you to spread it throughout the whole world. They received the Holy Spirit. And you know what they did? They sat on him. <laughs> Chapter 2, 
three, four, five, and six. There were some great things going on, but missionary activity was not part of the gig. In verse 1, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses. He agreed to the killing. A great wave of persecution began sweeping over the church. All the believers except the apostles were scattered, listen to this, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Look in verse 4. But the believers who were scattered, and that word scattered is like sowing seed, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. I want you to see on a map, just to give you a little context. In Jesus' day, Israel was basically divided, what we would think of Israel, in three sections. You had Judea down here. There's Jerusalem right there. Then you had Galilee up here. There's Nazareth where Jesus grew up. There's the Sea of Galilee. And in the middle was their sworn enemies, the Samaritans. And, and Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, I don't want you just to stay here in your own backyard. I want it to go all throughout this region. I want it to even go to your enemies here. And then I want it to go throughout the world. They received the Holy Spirit. Everything was hunky-dory. And they did not do what God told them to do. But then the persecution started, and then the missionary plan began. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that it took persecution to get the Word of God out? You read that, go, well, they preach in Samaria. Man, the Samaritans were their sworn enemies. Now one of these deacons, Philip, is going up there and spreading the word. They're scattering the word like seed everywhere. This is where the modern missionary movement began was when the persecution happened. You think back at times in your life, or maybe it's tonight, are you doing what you should be doing? Are you spreading the word of Jesus? Are you spreading the truth of Jesus? Are you living for God? Are you the witness that you should be? Maybe the pain you're experiencing or that you will be experiencing will be God trying to get your attention to get you to do what he's put you on earth to do. How many churches are sitting on the steeple? Not literally, but figuratively. And we talk a good game, and we'll give money, which is good, but we're not sharing Christ with our neighbors. We're not inviting people to church. We're not going out to people in other parts of town where we may not be comfortable and and trying to bring people to Christ. I want to tell you, if persecution happens in America like I think it will at some point, the church may get smaller, but it'll be more effective. You know why? Because all that's going to be left are people who are serious about God and everything else is going to be burned away and we'll be doing what we should be doing. Gain comes from our pain if it gets us to reprioritize our life and it gets us to be doing what God has left us here to do. And lastly, I would tell you this. Pain com- gain comes when it gets us right with God. I wouldn't say in this chapter how many of these people were they were not right with God, but I can tell you this. I can tell you if you had some lukewarm Christians in this group, they got squared up with God on the run. And sometimes, maybe even tonight, that it's going to take something jarring you up to get you back to where you need to be with God.
I don't pray that for you, but I hope you'll see that maybe God's trying to use that pain to get you to come back to Jesus. Sometimes God allows pain in our life to get us saved. Sometimes people who have come to church, who know the right rituals and the right rules, it takes more than a few sermons or a good song. It takes God turning you upside down and shaking you and spanking you to get you to realize you need him to be your Lord and Savior. Richard Pryor was a a comedian and an actor. I don't know if he got saved at the end of his life, but I know he had a a time in his life where God got his attention. 1980, he was burned terribly. And he was asked about that and about what that did in his life. And he said, well, I want to tell you, when you're in terrible pain, you don't call the bank, you don't call your stockbroker, you don't call your agent, you call out to God. Man, I wouldn't wish being burned on anybody, but if that happened and it turns you to Christ and to salvation, that's a gain. God trying to get you back to him or to him this evening through your suffering? You see, whatever we go through, God's always trying to work in it to bring gain from our pain. I read a story several years ago. It was a, a family in Tyler, Texas. And a little boy, I, I, I assume he's alive and a man today, but by the time he was 15, he had had 30 surgeries had major health problems. His dad said when he was eight, he was going in for about his 15th or 16th surgery, and the routine was pretty normal for them. They would come in and give him his, you know, to get him ready to take him back there, and the family would walk as far as they could, and then the, the nurses would push him on back to the operating room. And he said that day right before they got ready to push him back, the little boy looked and said, Daddy, please don't let him take me. Please don't let him take me. He said it just broke his heart. But he said, I knew they had to take him. It was going to be painful. It was going to be hard. It was going to hurt him. But that was going to be that pain and through that pain that was going to help my little boy get better. And I had to let him go through it so he could continue to be who we wanted him to be. You see, I don't think God looks at us when he sees us suffering or sees us hurting or confused, and he's, hey, that's great. I think he's reaching out to us in love with a tear in his eye. And he's saying, you go through this because it's part of life, because there's a real devil, there's sin. But let me take your hand, no matter what you're going through, and let's get some gain from this pain. So what I want to challenge you this evening Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're in the middle of some hard times. Give your life to Christ tonight. When we stand, you come tonight and you cross this line with Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian and, and man, your world's falling apart. Maybe you know somebody who is. You want to come pray at the altar or pray with the minister, you come. But Christian, you make a choice tonight to let God bring great from your suffering. It's your choice. Maybe you'd like to join our church. If you're not a member, we would love for you to. And you can do that after church or you can do it right now. But let's stand. Let's make the decisions we need to make.